Hi, I'm Katrina Daniel, and welcome to Primetime Crime, a podcast for people who want to know what goes on behind the scenes of the most notorious trending crime stories and what's going on in the minds of those involved in those stories. What are the detectives, the judges, the defense attorneys, and the prosecutors thinking? You'll hear it all on Primetime Crime, the podcast. This is Primetime Crime, and I am Michael Rosen, hosting today one of the most horrific and haunting disasters to ever strike our country, the collapse of the Champlain Towers south in Surfside, Florida, is what we are discussing today. The painstaking, gut-wrenching search for any survivors has obsessed us for two weeks. A Miami Herald reporter, David Neal, has been on the front lines of this story. He is here to share his experience and observations today. Welcome, David. NBC News on the recovery process in Surfside. Comfort and faith displayed through clergy clutching rosaries and rabbis in prayer as rescue efforts now turn to the first day of recovery. Rachel Spiegel's mother, Judy, is still missing. Just so difficult, and, and what I'm really dreading is the next phase. I'm not quite there yet personally. My family's not quite there, and my kids are not there. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. David, you are a, a what I would call a star reporter with the Miami Herald. I think that's stretching it, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, you listen. I, I, I'm a longtime Miami resident, I, and I know good writing, and I know consistent writing. So that's how I see it. Thank you very much. You have been given the assignment of covering, along with others, of course, covering this this horrible tragedy of the uh, Surfside disaster. I would like to start with your own personal observations, being a reporter, being a human, um, have you ever covered anything like this? And, and how is it making you feel when you go home at the end of the day? Um, well, fortunately I haven't had to be, some of my colleagues have had to be on at that site every single day that they've been working. Um, I haven't had to be there as much. It, Surfside is, personally, it's one of those places that kind of, in the 32 years I've lived in South Florida, it just kind of keeps popping up. I lived in Miami Beach for 25 years. Um, you know, if you say Surfside to me, I think about the little DMV that used to be there where I first got my driver's license with a literal stone's throw from the Champlain Towers south. Uh, I think about the tailor who has tailored all the suits I still wear. Um, uh, I got married at the Sheridan Bell Harbor, which is, you know, right there on the, just across 96th Street from Surfside. So it, it, it's, 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 it hurts. You know, I, I've driven, you know, driven through Surfside a lot. A lot. I, you know, so my first assignment, one of my first assignments about with the Herald was writing about Surfside for this uh, extra kind of magazine we used to put out every year, writing about all the municipalities. And the first one I drew was Surfside. Um, it's changed, hasn't it? Well, it's definitely changed. It's like a lot of software, it's changed. But any kind of thing like this, where you've got the, the fragility of life 
in this is hammered home constantly to you in this business. Um, whether it be like in Pembroke Pines, we had the plane crash where a four-year-old boy died because the car, you know, his mother had just picked him up from school. They're driving home in an SUV near North Perry Airport. The plane falls short of North Perry Airport. Plane hits the car. The kid dies. That's some pretty fragile life stuff right there. You know, um, you're just, you're picking your kid up and you're bringing him home from school. And, and you know, that's it. Uh, the FIU bridge, right. Parkland. I was picking up my daughter uh, from school the day that Parkland happened. I reminded her, I said, this is why. This is why when we part, if we, especially if we're going to be in a car, we hug, we kiss. You say, I love you because you know what could be the last time. And this may be more than any other thing. What, what could be safer than you going to bed in your home and not a natural disaster happens, not an earthquake, not a hurricane, but just the building falls and talking to people writing about people who have experienced this great loss you feel for them you want to cry you that's that's i guess where i wanted to take you if you had the opportunity to speak with uh some of the family members that have had these suffered these losses i've had to do it like second hand i've spoken to a few of them on the sat on the day i was on site i think on that day it was still very raw very new they were still, hey, you know, there's still hope. How long was this after? Two days, the Saturday after. And I know from getting the feeds from my colleagues who have been there every day and are now, you know, talking to these families that, after, you know, you've got, they brought down the rest of the building, which really hammered home. These people have lost everything. How did some of these people get out of there? There was a huge sound. My ex-wife lives in Sunset Harbor South on the Bay Side and down at 18th Street. That was all the way up at, you know, 87th, 88th and Collins. She heard it. Oh, before the building fell down. No, when the building fell down. So now if you're in the building and you're in the part that's still standing, there's no way you're still asleep. Now you get up and there were... You know, we've heard stories of a number of people who went to open their door and, you know, where there was a hallway, now there's like, you know, six feet and then nothing. The people who got out managed to get to stairwells um, and, you know, get down them very quickly. There were people that were rescued by, by rescue workers that got there. They got to their balconies they, and the rescue workers were able to get to them with, uh, you know, kind of cherry pick kind of equipment. You know, it, that was it. There was no way you couldn't wake up if you were in that part that was still standing. And then it was just about, okay, you got to get out of there. I understand that, that I guess it was yesterday or last night that they announced that this is going from uh, rescue to recovery. Yeah. Can you tell us what that means? In reality, it's uh, what it means is they are now looking for people, for victims 
but they're looking without hope, without, without the thought that they're going to find people alive. Search and rescue is we're trying to find people so we can rescue them, so we can save their lives. Recovery means we're trying to recover the bodies. I also read that, that there is going to be a concerted effort during the recovery part to find photo albums, graduation um, certificates, phones. Uh, have you heard anything about that? Yes. During, the, during this whole process, actually, uh, they had talked about treating the possessions that they found with some care because this is all these, some of these people have left. Families. It's all the families have left. So the families have left and you're treating the possessions with care. It's like one, one resident said, now I have nothing from my parents. I have no photos of my parents. I have no anything of my parents. It's really tough. It's, it's, and it's a, such a, it's a slow process. And the way the building went down, uh, the pancake way it went down, made it very, as Miami-Dade Fire Rescue said, uh, one of the Israeli teams uh, said that this is the most complex search he's ever been a part of. That was before they demolished the rest of the tower. It's really indescribable. I mean, it really is. Um, I've heard the same description about uh, uh, from the Israeli uh, team and also the uh, the chief the firefighters that uh, the pancake effect of this thing, one falling right on top of the other left, virtually no hope. Let, let me, I guess, shift for a moment to these first responders. I mean, when you read about what they've gone through and the hours they're putting in and and uh, how difficult it is for them to even leave the site and then come back, and, and meaning they don't want to leave the site. Um, have you been able to speak with them? Yeah. As one of them said to us, you, know, you do your job, and sometimes you stop to cry. Hmm. And then you, uh, then you resume your job. They see a lot of things that, frankly, of most of us would do, be happy to spend our life never seeing. And in this situation, I'm quite sure as skilled as they are, as much as they've seen, I'm pretty sure from early on, there's not a lot of hope here. And they attack this mountain of rubble. Um, One stone at a time. And, you know, yeah, it, it, like they were saying, it's not like you're lifting up heavy slabs of concrete. You're lifting up slabs of concrete that are like the size of a basketball and moving it. And then, you know, continually, it was breaking off. The smell gets to you. How close have you been to the site? It's one, one block over. Uh, remember I mentioned the driver's license place. I think where I was was where, <laughs> right there, the block where the my driver's license place was between Hardy and Collins. Uh, I wore. I actually put on a KN95 mask that day because the the wind shifted and this, and uh, when I mentioned immediately on our Twitter, I said, "Boy, the winds have shifted. You can smell the smoke from the fire. You can smell." People immediately said, "Put on your mask because that's not good smoke." Some people who had experienced it uh, after 9/11 mentioned, "Yeah, that's you don't want to be breathing that in." And the first responders had, it seemed to me, every time I saw them, they were always wearing significant uh, face gear to protect them. Well, yeah, there's constant dust in the air. Um, and it, when there's enough dust in the air that you can sense it or feel it, there's a tremendous amount of dust in the air. By bringing down the second part of the building, 
what has that allowed the uh, the first responders to do? Because now it seems like they are recovering bodies at a, at a much greater clip. Well, that allowed them to actually broaden their search. Kind of separated the area into six different areas, I believe it was. And there were a few of those areas they just weren't able to get to at all. So they're able to get to all the areas now. And also some of the area that they weren't able to get to, that's where a lot of bedrooms were. Let's jump for a moment to cause. I mean, there's been a litany. This morning I read about a, uh, a report of a car running into a garage basement uh, cement pole five, seven years ago. And I've also heard to the other extent that that Navy explosion off the coast of Florida when they were testing a, uh, a, a ship for its soundness. Uh, but of course, it's gone now from the, the original foundation and the original building to the failure to maintain the building. So what has your investigation, the Herald's investigation, if there has been any, revealed in terms of what might have been a cause or a contributing factor to this? Uh, there's several. Golly, there was there was water damage in the garage. Ancient water damage. No, it's years and years. Right. Um, there was the 2018 report by uh, it was Morbido Consultants that said there were major problems in various places. Uh, I think there was a problem in the pool deck also. Here's the deal with condos, and it is yes, yeah, special assessments. People hate them because. They are just, it's, it's money that nobody budgets for really. You know, you know it's coming, but you don't budget for it. You know, for those who out there who don't own condominiums or don't have, you know, don't have friends or relatives who've gone through condominiums. When you, when you own a condominium, you know, you have, your, you pay your mortgage. Uh, well that, that's one thing, but you also pay what's called maintenance. That's for literally maintenance that also pays for if your place has a doorman, if you're, if you're, there's a management company, uh, a valet service, uh, some of the, you know, the upkeep around the place. And then if something desperately needs to be done in your condominium uh, and your condominium doesn't have enough reserves, cash reserves, there's what's called a special assessment. And what happens is they say, okay, you know, we need another $60,000. Per condo. So sometimes, sometimes it is right. And in our condo, I can remember there was a special assessment of like an extra 800 and some bucks for over a year, you know? So that's like another $10,000. Yeah, that is another $10,000, but it was because it was like 830, I think. It was almost another $10,000 per year. Like I said, that's why people hate it. Especially if you got a condo where you have some residents who are on fixed incomes, uh, you have residents who, frankly, aren't going to be around for another 20 years. Right. In this case, I think the, the, what's come out is the board of directors of the condo were all in a big fight together and against each other and with the residents over whether and how much to assess and when to assess and if to assess. This is classic. I mean, this is classic Florida Condo Association life. I mean, I'm sorry if that sounds like lighthearted, you know, in light of what happened there. but. Renee Rodriguez wrote an excellent story for us detailing kind of the back and forth, the condo association back and forth. And I read that and I'm like, yeah, that's 
I've seen that out of so many condo associations. We could have a Herald reporter who does nothing but cover condo association controversies and misdeeds. And that reporter, just working out of Dade County, would never have a slow time. They would constantly be at work. Um, There's a friend of mine was telling me, was trying to get me to write about his condo in Lauderhill. And I'm like, dude, do you understand what you're talking about is, you know, again, it, it goes on in, I don't know how many condos in Dade County, get in the line. Thanks for listening to Primetime Crime, the podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Primetime Crime and on Instagram and Twitter at Primetime Crime underscore. Post your comments and tell us what true crime stories you'd like to hear about. Subscribe to Primetime Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Thanks a lot.